Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. It was 83 years ago, 1933, that a tree fell to the ground. This tree, though it remains nameless to us today because it was not one of those that was famous, it was one of the mighty redwoods. It was one of those that stand tall, that stand, you know, many times more than 200 feet tall. This tree had lived for 12 hundred years. This tree was a giant of trees. It was large, but uh, time and, and circumstance had taken its toll, and at 1,200 years of age, this tree, it failed. There are a number of famous trees in our country these large sequoias are, are incredible, and the closer that you get to them, you really cannot fathom how big that they really are. And I've known you've probably seen pictures along the way of the tree that the car can drive through and trees that people walk through. These are, these are very interesting pictures. The largest tree in America as one of these sequoias. It's known as the General Sherman. Uh, on the screen, there should be a picture of the General Sherman. This, um, well, that's probably a sign that you're seeing with statistics of the General Sherman. Here, here she is, here he is, or here it is, and another picture when you look at the base of that tree. It is an incredibly large, large base. The third General Sherman picture, I believe somebody tried to get real close and, and look up at it, and it's, it's really difficult to get a good picture of these trees. But this is standing at the base and, uh, and looking, looking up at, at that tree, and of course there's the distortion of, of the lens because the way that you look up. On a personal note, the fourth General Sherman picture, I think, is one of personal note because uh, this is our Anna Lee when we made a trip to California just a couple of months before she passed away. And there she is standing right there at the base of the General Sherman tree. And um, this is an incredible memory for our family. And then I want you to take a look at the next picture. This is a picture of the rings of, of a tree. The General Sherman tree is, just hold that picture for a moment, but the General Sherman tree is 2,700 years old. 2,700 years old. They have been able to ascertain its age. The weight of the trunk of that tree is 1,385 tons or to bring it to pounds, it's 
thousand pounds is what the trunk of that tree would weigh. From the ground to the top branches of that tree, it's 275 foot tall. Almost as long as a football field is, this tree is tall. And standing at the base right where you saw Anna Lee, if you were to measure around that tree, it would be 102 feet around that tree. The circumference of that would be probably 75 foot from one side of the circle to the other side of the circle if you go uh, all the way across and, and measure the diameter. But you're looking at a picture now of the tree rings of a, of a, of a sequoia tree. And of course you know that the life of a tree is measured by the number of the rings. And every year there is... Um, there are, are two basic rings that grow around a tree. It's, it, it, is, it, is that, it is that ring that, that, is, that is formed, uh, uh, that, that gives you the age. And of course, these that study this, uh, dendrochronology or the study of tree rings is something that, that is incredible. And they, they realize when the great tree that fell in, in 1933, when they took a cross section of it and and, and begin to study by looking at the rings of the tree from 1933. They were able to say which year's disease had touched the tree. They were able to ascertain uh, there was a fungus attack. They could tell what year lightning had, had struck the tree. They could see storm damage when things, limbs had been broken off. They, they saw scars where things had rubbed against it or gotten close. They saw the years when the tree was healthy, for the rings were, were fat. They saw the years when it was dry and not enough water and the rings were, were thin. They saw the growth seasons. They saw the lean years. At one point, over a hundred rings indicated that there had been 100 complete years of strong growth, of good rain, and of, and of the, the tree's ability to grow and to expand. About 1820, when they studied the rings, uh, they found in that, that tree uh, a, a scar that was made by fire, made by fire from the ground. And, and they, they came to, to believe that probably it was a group of Indians, maybe, maybe settlers, that, that had built a campfire a little bit too close and it had gotten out of control and 13 foot up that tree, they found that there was a scar from the burn, from the forest fire that circled, circled that tree. This tree weighed more than 500 tons, more than 1 million pounds. 323 foot tall with only a 13 foot scar. And this, this tree... When it fell in 1933, they know, they know what year it fell, and then they measured the rings back and realized that, um, that the fire that had, burned, uh, that had burned around that tree and made uh, that 13-foot scar. They, they, they learned and they ascertained that, that the damage that eventually caused this tree to fall had taken place during that fire, which was 113 years before the falling or the failing of the tree. 
long after, long after the darkened wood was covered with new wood. And long after the charred wood had been covered with a fresh layer of bark and new circles of rings. There, there was the damage that had taken place during the course of that catastrophe when fire came. And the scar was in there deep. The scar was in there 226 rings deep was the scar from the fire. This, this, is, this is, I think, significant when you consider that the damage and the event had happened a long time before you saw the falling of the tree. I've known a lot of wonderful people, a lot of saints of God, a lot of good people whom have fallen in life when they never should have fallen. When you look at them and you observe their life, you see that for no no apparent reason, there was a disaster. You look at them and they're in the height of strength or the height of success or everything seems to be going their way and everything ought to be working just right and for for no, no apparent reason, you find where there was a failure of some type in their life. And when you begin to look a little deep and maybe observe the rings of their life, and you realize that five years, 10 years, maybe 20, 30 years before, there had been a disaster or an event or something something had happened at that point that had caused damage into the heart and soul of that individual where there was a past scar that uh, uh, no longer did you see the blood and no longer did you see the scrape and, and no longer did, did you see the markings, uh, the markings of the scar because it was long covered, long covered with time. But there was that event that had taken place, a wound uh, that had happened in her life, whether it was intentional or not. Uh, this This... The life that you see having fallen had had a mark and had a scar. And in one place, Jesus talks about a house that fell. He said, great was the fall of it. And I think any time that, that someone has this type of a failure in their life, we, I think we can stand right alongside the Lord and say, great was the fall of that. Not that it was a splendid or exciting thing, but it was something to be remembered, and it's something that, that, we, that we never forget. There is, there are events in every one of our lives. Every, every one of us can look back and remember the moment that it happened, the day that it happened. For each of us, it's a unique event, but it was an event that staggered you. It was an event that became the benchmark, uh, the benchmark of your life. It, it's that point that you look back and say, that was before the fire or after the fire. That was before the wreck or after the wreck. That was before the divorce or after the divorce. Uh, that was before the cancer or after the cancer. And these events in life, they, they become that point of time that we that we mark by and everything relates uh, to that moment and before it and after it everything has a relative thing that is in relation it's this event that 
that it marks you. It, it marked you. It left its, its mark. It, it left maybe even a scar. It, it marked a, it, not just a physical scar, but maybe on, on the inside and the emotions and the ability to process and mentally, uh, mentally be strong. There, there is that mark that it's left. Uh, it marks the way, it marks the way that you think. It, it marks the way that you see things. It, it marks the way that it probably marked the way that you could receive things. It, it marks the way that you're able to ha- relate to things and relate to people. And it marks your life. And it marks the relationships and, and good or bad. Uh, uh, the marking might have been for good and made things better or the marking, the scar that was left might have been for bad and and it might have made things might have made things worse, but good or bad, the marks that happen at these events of life, they they seem to have effects on us forever. Such was the case of the child king Uzziah. You know that young lad who became the king of Israel at 13 years of age, young and filled with potential, tender and submitted, anointed and loyal. And, and he, he loved the things of God. He loved the house of God. He led with, he led with dignity. He led with honor. He, he led the people of Israel with a love for God. And for some 53 years, Uzziah served as the king of Israel. And it was during the course of, 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 his, of his life that uh, at some point he began to become nonchalant about the things of God. He become become a little a little presumptuous about the things of God. So one day he decided uh, that he would go to the temple and there he would offer incense, which he was not supposed to do. And, and he would became so presumptuous that he could usurp the authority of the king. So so he went in and and that day he offered sacrifice. The priests I've mentioned this to you before. The priests withstood him. Uh, the, the leaders withstood him and, and, and they seemed, he seemed to have thought that his place in life gave him privilege that was not intended for him you see at this point God was not pleased with him and God rebuked the king at this point and leprosy came upon his body this moment in his life when leprosy came was a marking they saw the leprosy on the outside but really the leprosy was a condition of something that had happened on the inside because at some point uh, there was a spiritual storm there was a spiritual event in this place where, where for some reason he chose to no longer respect the things of God in the manner that he had in the past. And so there was that point where it happened on the inside, but now there was the physical mark on the outside that leprosy had come into his life. Every one of us will face a similar circumstance. And before we ever see evidence on the outside of a life, before we ever hear the tree fall or even suspect there may be a falling of a great tree. Every one of us must withstand the events of life. These events 
that happen, these tests of time that come our way, there's something that you and I must reach out to the master and say, God, you're going to have to sustain me through this time, and I believe you're going to heal me through this time, and you're going to help me through this time. Every one of us must sustain the test of time when our feelings are hurt. Every one of us must sustain the test of time when offense comes to us. Every one of us must sustain the test of time when disaster comes or when our children or our young adult children break our hearts. Every every one of us must tend the test of time when disappointment comes our way, when the unexpected happens. And let's just be honest. Sometimes life just happens. And sometimes the events of life just happen and we find ourselves in circumstances that we didn't choose trying to deal with circumstances that we don't understand, that we don't deserve. But every one of us must stand that test of time when you're presented with something that will try your spirit, that will try your heart, and will try your faithfulness to the things of God. You remember the story Jesus told of the tares and the wheat. When Jesus tells the parable that, that, the, that the wheat was growing, but at night a stranger came and threw tares out, not being able to tell the difference between the tear and the wheat, because when they grow, they're, they're very similar. And Jesus says, don't touch that, because if you touch that, if you touch the tares, you will destroy the good wheat. If you touch the bad stuff, uh, you'll also destroy the good stuff. Uh, what he's saying is uh, there's some things in life that you just can't touch. You just got to give it some time. And when you're come to face-to-face uh, with circumstances in life uh, that you know that you can't touch it, uh, or you're going to make it worse. Uh, sometimes with your kids, uh, you're afraid to touch it or speak out to your kids because you know you don't want to push them a little too far away from you or from God. Other circumstances in life that you know that you know that you just cannot touch those things. There's those moments in time that we know we can't touch the circumstance. We can't touch the tear. We can't touch the decision. We can't touch the action. We can't touch the person. We literally have got to stand back and know we want to touch it and know we want to help it. There's not a thing we can do. There are moments like this uh, that, uh, that mark us. Uh, they leave their marks and they leave their scars. Uh, I'm talking to you this morning uh, and I bring you this thought by title, uh, the healing of an old wound. Uh, the healing of something that was way back there, uh, way back there and, and there was something maybe you couldn't touch it. Uh, maybe it was the event of a failed relationship or divorce or sickness uh, or tragedy, unexpected death, financial setback, financial bankruptcy, whatever the particular thing was, it's not something that you can touch and you're marked 
by that event. Uh, there are some things, there are some sins uh, that we think we can hide. We can keep some things suppressed. We can keep some things hidden and no one will ever know about it. And there's sins of the heart. There's sins, there's sins of the spirit. And there's, there's those things that, that happen that causes us to feel resentment, causes us to feel bitterness, causes us to feel wounded attitudes and offense, causes the bitterness of, of life, the burning sensation of jealousy to grip the heart and the mind of someone. These are things that, that want to come in and they want to steal your joy and, and overshadow your joy and cause you even to lose the purity of your spirit and because of the resentment and the bitterness these things that are on the inside they mark us. I would like to say today there's a healing for the inside things that happen inside of us. For every offense there's a healer. For every scar there's a healer. For every brokenness there is a healer. For every offense, uh, there is a healer. For every pain, uh, there is, uh, there is a healer. Uh, I stand here this morning uh, really afraid to talk uh, because I understand things that can happen. There's ladies under the sound of my voice uh, that had things happen to you uh, that you look back and, and they're so painful even until this day. Uh, there, there are ladies here that, that made decisions uh, that marked you and have, and have challenged you to this day. There's men here that you look strong. You look like everything is all right. But really deep down in the core of your heart, there's something that happened that caused a setback in your spirit, a setback in your life, an erosion of your dreams, a loss of your hope for the future. And it has, it has marked you and even defined whom that you are today. But I've come to Today, there is hope for the loss of every dream, and there is hope for the erosion of every passion, and there's a healer for every scar in your life. Amen. Saul, Saul, that great king of Israel, that first king, that one whom stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Uh, that man who was so humble in the early moments of his being called king that he went and hid himself away because he felt unworthy. And he hid himself and, and, and God sent his man to find where he was hidden and God brought him from the place he was hiding and he elevated him. And, and at this point, God the scripture says that he put a new heart inside of King Saul. He, put, he took out a, a timid heart and, and he took out the fearful heart and, and somehow God placed a, a new heart. Now we know the hand of God didn't cut him open and we know the hand of God didn't do a surgery where they clamped off the arteries and, and pulled out a heart and took another heart from somewhere else and, and, and sutured that one inside. We know that's not what happened but what happened there was an emotion and a spiritual surgery that took place. And, and Saul, Saul, early on in his leadership, he received a new heart. You know, that's what our God does. He reaches in and finds a scarred heart and a broken heart and heart not working well. And he reaches in and he puts a new heart inside of a man. He can put a new heart inside of a woman. As a matter of fact, he can change your heart. He can put a change of heart 
heart in every man. He can put a change of heart in every woman. And he can do this with the working, uh, with the working of his spirit. But God gave Saul a new heart. Uh, but he became nonchalant about his life and his calling and his role that he had. And sin began to evolve. And he became presumptuous. And, and the Bible says with time that as long as Saul was small in his own eyes, uh, everything went well. But, but there came a moment when Saul was no longer small in his own eyes. And Saul was no longer small and no longer humble, but something had begun to rise in his spirit. The disobedience came into his heart. And he found that this great soldier would fall on a battlefield. And he would fall on a battlefield dying at the hand of something that he disobeyed God about because he was hard in his heart and didn't listen. There was a scar in his spirit and it took 20 something years for it to happen but it was an Amalekite that took his life and he'd been given instruction to destroy the Amalekites this 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 thing that took this scarring that happened inside of him this scarring that took place there it caused for a fall that would happen you see when this, these things happen there there's a mark in our lives and and and, and I, I just want you to think with me you're here today and you can reach back and you can remember the moment. You can remember the moment the thing happened. You remember the moment virtue was stolen. You remember the moment a driving dagger was pushed into your core of your spirit and it marked it marked you. Looking back for just a moment back at Uzziah, I want you to think. At some point, there was a heart problem that he had. What he really needed was he needed the hand of God on his life to give him the same heart surgery that had been given to Saul early on in his life. But what began to happen was the mark that was on his life and the sins of le- the marks of leprosy that had, that had come upon him. Those marks and scars separated him and there was an outward marking upon upon his life. His young son one day began to notice the countenance, the change in his countenance. And his son would ask him, Dad, uh, what's on your face? Uh, Why the leprosy? Uh, uh, You see, when you allow hidden things to scar over, uh, and and, and when you allow those things to scar without the correct healing of the work of the Spirit, uh, Daddy... I'm seeing you, but you look different. Uh, Daddy, I'm seeing you, but you act different. Uh, there's a mark in our behavior when we're making allowances for scars. And there's a mark in our behavior when, when, we, when we're going through life and trying to make excuses uh, for the scarrings that, that are in our life. I know preacher's kids uh, who say, I'll never go back to church because I saw what happened to my daddy. Uh, I know saints' kids who say, I saw a big fight at church and, and and I'll never go back. I'll never go back to church. I've known folks who got offended in the way here, or offended in the way there, and something happened. And you say, I'll never go back to the presence of God. Let me tell you, if there's a hurt or a wound, the best place you could ever go to is go to the presence of God. Go to the house of God. Go to a place of prayer. Go to an altar that can bring healing into your life. 
Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 4. This is a, these are two verses that I read to you very, very often. Surely the Lord has borne our griefs. He's carried our sorrows. Yet we did seem, we esteem him stricken. He was smitten of God and he was afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes uh, we were healed. When you really, Paul, to think that he, he, was, he was wounded for my transgressions and bruised for my iniquities. You've got to be able to grasp the fact that he was hurt so he could carry our hurt. And he was wounded so he could feel our wounds. And he was striped. He was beaten with a stripe and blood ran so there could be a blood covering in our life. He, he, carried, he carried those wounds and those scars and the blood would run so when you and I were misunderstood or you and I were hurt or you and I were offended or you and I had these circumstances in life that we could run to Jesus and we could remember God you already felt my pain so I didn't have to feel this pain so I throw my cares on the altar cover me with your blood again cover me with your blood again master and so you cry out to him and he touches you in those moments of prayer there's been people here that more than one time when the pain got so bad and the scarring got so hard uh, that, that, uh, that you would run to the Lord and you would say, help me, help me, master. There is a, a thing called nosocomial infection. This is an infection that's acquired in hospitals and, and in doctor's offices. This, this, is, this is an infection that many times uh, you hear of people catch staph infection and these things. This is an infection that's caught from another infection. People, people, go to the, people will go to the hospital to have a minor surgery or, or go for, for some testing of some sort. But while they're in there, they, they contact, uh, they contact uh, something else. And, and so it, it is at this moment that they, that they contact something else that, that sickness comes. That's the reason if you go into a um, if you go into a surgery waiting, you come to a place where it's intensive care units. Uh, many times uh, they'll make you, if you're going to go for a visit, uh, you wash your hands before you go in. and You wash your hands when you come out. Uh, and many times uh, you'll even maybe wear a gown, wear a mask if it's a critical surgery. And, and it's, it's heightened, uh, and there's a heightened chance of infection because of these nosocomial infections. It's an infection that you went to the hospital with, uh, but you caught it while you were there. It's not something that you went in and there's some 50, 60,000 deaths a year in the American hospitals of people who went to the hospital and they, they, they got healed they got healed and fixed of what they went in for but they caught something else and they died of something else while they were there it ought never to be that you come to the house of God and when you get there you get healed of your bitterness and healed of your hurt and healed of the pain from yesterday but when you 
get there, something happened. And you, something could happen with, between brothers and sisters. And offense could come to the hearts of the men and women. And somebody lose out with God. What needs to happen is every infection, every sickness, and every feeling has got to be placed on an altar. And allow God to work. And you came, you came to the house of God with hate and anger in your spirit. You came to the house of God full of immorality and full of ugly stuff. And God healed that. But while you were there, jealousy got a hold of you. Insecurity got a hold of you. Those other infections could get a hold of you and change and hurt your spirit. I've come today to say he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. And the chastisement of your peace was upon him. He bled to cover your mind. He bled to cover your heart. He bled to cover your spirit. And these things he did for you. It was Samson, the champion of Israel. The judge who would lead by strength. The scripture says after he had brought certain decisions of compromise into his life that, that things begin. It all started. It all started with Samson when he started looking over the fence and decided that that cute little Philistine girl was worthy of his attention. He, he should have never been going after and chasing after that little Philistine girl. But that's where his problem started. And before long, he told a secret and sold out everything. And, and the Bible says it this way, that he wist not when the Spirit left his life. He didn't know when the anointing left. He didn't know when the presence of God left. It just, one day it was there and another day it wasn't there. And he's not certain at what moment or what day that, that, that it was gone, but there, there, there was a thing that had happened and the problem that happened was, was, was really the main thing was that he told the secret and he had his hair cut uh, the real problem happened way way back uh, when he started uh, liking something he shouldn't have liked and had desires for something that he couldn't desire and then he started making riddles the Bible said he made a riddle about it to some of his brethren he started making jokes about that in his life uh, he started being able to joke about the things of God and joke about the experience with God and take light and not take serious the commitments of God in his life and, and oh we could mourn the death of the great Samson but already as a young man there was a scar deep in the core of his spirit uh, I've come this morning to try to root out a scar I want to pour the blood of the Holy Ghost uh, I want to pour the power of the spirit uh, and do that wounded place uh, for somebody today Peter said Peter said Lord how many times should I forgive somebody? Should, should I forgive them seven times? And the Lord responded, no, no, you should forgive them 70 times, seven. So, so you look back now, and, and, and that's the Lord gave a commandment that 490 times of forgiveness. But let me tell you something that happens in our lives. If we determine that every day when something from yesterday crops up, we're going to forgive that. If you limit yourself to 490 days of forgiveness, then you're going to have, then you're going to have a problem on day 491. Because I want you to know God wasn't given us that time a formula for 490 days of forgiveness. Because there's going to be a 491st day. And if you don't, if you don't realize 
guys, what he's saying is, is, is you just got to keep on forgiving. And you got to multiply your forgiveness. And you can't hold on against a brother. And you can't carry offense. And you can't let things to affect you. But, but you, got, you, you, got to, you got to let it go on day 489. And on day 490, you got to let it go. And, and on day 491, don't you dare pick that up. But you let it go on 491. You let it go on day 591. You let it go on day 691. And you let that thing go. He's not saying don't count it. Don't keep score. But just get this stuff under the blood. Get it under the blood. Wash it and cleanse it and forgive it and let it go. The rings of the tree do not lie. It's the tree, that tree ring that shows the exact moment, the exact year that the damage was done. Though it took years for the damage to be manifest for those who would come back. It not only shows what happened, but it shows also how that it was dealt with. And if it's dealt with incorrectly in your life, they'll be marked in such a way that, that it will never, never be remembered. I, I went and, 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 and I began to, to look at how you can identify some of these marks and scars that, that happened to us and that go on for years. And, and, when, and I, just, I just want to share with you a, a kind of a, of a lengthy list, but it's, it's, just, it's, it's brief about, about identifying wounds in the heart and the soul and the emotions of people. There's that inner rawness that, that happens when, when there's something happened to us. Uh, there comes that place of irritability where everything irritates us and you have little or no tolerance for anything or anyone else. Uh, and every time you turn around, uh, those feelings continue to rise up uh, and you become overly sensitive or you stay overly sensitive about the particular event. Uh, and it's hard to forgive. It's hard to forgive and it's hard to feel like anybody likes you or loves you. So there is that lashing out and, and then anytime anybody will ask or get too close, it's, it's that it's that lashing out. It's an anger towards those around you, but then also there's an anger towards God because God let this happen to you. It becomes uh, this place of, of self-hate because it looks like that everything around you, the person who has these problems doesn't like them, but in all reality, it's a loathing for what's going on on the inside. It's an easy frustration, and often, often there's escapism that's embraced, escapism Escapism or, or addictions or dependencies. Uh, I'll turn, I'll look for peace in alcohol. I'll, I'll look for peace in the bottle. I'll look for peace in drugs. I'll look for peace in, in an addiction. I'll look for peace in illicit relationships. I'll look for peace in, in sexual escapades. I'll go and do this and I'll do that to escape the pressures and pains of what that I am feeling. And so many times you see, you, you've seen it and all of us know somebody who has dealt with this where, where people young people, teenagers, uh, even adults, uh, they'll, they'll take and they'll get, a, uh, they'll, they'll sit in school and take the cap of a pen and scrape at their skin or, or even get knives or scissors and they'll cut themselves. Uh, you find a picture of this in, in the New Testament when the man, the demoniac of Gadaria, it says that he would cry and cut himself with stones at nighttime. There was so much pain on the inside uh, and so much mess on the inside that he'd cut himself uh, hoping the blood run out would let the pain run out. Uh, there is that anger and that desire to get retaliation 
temptation to get revenge. Uh, there's erratic, irresponsible behavior that takes place. Uh, and then irrational, unrealistic expectations begin to be directed at yourself and at others. Uh, there's so many things that begin to happen in, in our life uh, when, when, this, when, when somebody has had uh, something ugly happen. But I've come this morning with a simple remedy for this. And that is uh, get yourself close to an altar. Get yourself close uh, to the presence of Jesus. Uh, get yourself close uh, to the foot of the cross. Uh, get yourself close uh, where the blood of Jesus ran from his side. And ran from his head. And dropped off his feet. And dropped off the ground. Uh, there's an old song that says uh, there was one drop of blood that was shed for you just for you and the sins of your soul, just for you to cleanse you and to make you free and whole. Get close to the cross. Allow the blood of Jesus to be a blood covering, a blood covering in your life. See, there was, there's those moments in life if we don't respond correctly, we become like Esau when things have been stolen from us and manipulated away from us, uh, he lost his birthright. You know the story. His birthright was stolen. Uh, his, his, his blessing was stolen. And, and he was realizing he was, he was going to be living in a place uh, without the his, his dreams were broken. I mean, his, his whole, he allowed himself to get in a situation where he was manipulated out of it. The Bible says with time, there was a root of bitterness that sprang up in his life. Uh, and that root of bitterness started pouring out on everybody around them. Uh, I suggest uh, instead of letting the hurts and pains, uh, frustrations and offenses pour out on everybody else, uh, I suggest uh, get close to the altar. Allow the healing touch uh, of the Holy Ghost. I'm using word pictures for you this morning, but there was a time the Apostle Paul was traveling and the ship was wrecked. And they went through all this confusion and shipwreck. He needed drowned and all this stuff was going on. And, and they were, they were, they come up on an island and they started to fire. They were freezing. They were shivering. And, and it was just rainy. It was cold. The storm was over, but it was, it was, it was a mess. And they wanted to, they needed to warm up, so they started to fire. And Paul went over, and he just going to put a, a few sticks on the fire, just kind of make the fire bigger, just, just try to recover from some of the feelings that he was feeling at the moment. And when, and when he, when he puts the stick on the fire, the Bible says that a viper, a snake, came out of that fire and attached itself to his hand. And everybody there knew, everybody there knew that that was a venomous snake, and it would destroy him, and it would kill him and the people looked around and waited on Paul to die immediately but Paul didn't do what you and I would do uh, he didn't call 911 uh, he didn't he didn't he didn't grab his knife and cut and suck the poison out he didn't do any of that what he did at this point was that thing had attached itself to him and Saul you know the Bible simply says this that that Saul shook that snake back into the fire matter of fact it bit him and instead of him going crazy. He just shook it off and it went back where, where that it came from. That what's, that's what needs to happen in your life. Hell tries to attach itself to you with something that will destroy you. I say shake that thing off. Shake it back in the fire that it came from. Shake it back in the devil's lap that sent it at you. Shake it back in the hell, the bastion of hell that tried to destroy you. But shake that thing off. Let the devil have it back. Let the fire have it back. But I'm not letting 
letting this attachment. I'm not accepting this attachment. This thing's not going to stay attached to me. And I'm not accepting the poison. And I'm not expecting the, I'm not accepting the future that this might mean in my life. I'm giving it back. And I refuse this thing. I refuse this scar. I refuse this snake bat. I refuse this attachment. I refuse this. I refuse this bitterness. I refuse this hurt. I refuse this confusion. I refuse this anger. I refuse this jealousy. I refuse this intimidation. I refuse this pain. You're not going to attach that to me. I shake it off and I give it back to where it came from. Amen. Amen. But we have to face some realities and life is real. Okay? Life is real. And and, and I want to show you some disaster that happened in a wonderful family. Disaster that happened in somebody that, that it just ought not to have happened to. And that is, think of me of King David, the man who wrote so much of the book of Psalms. And we look at him as being a man that was after God's own heart. But you know, corruption comes to every family. And the opportunity for sin and failure comes to every family. And every house is is provided an opportunity for ugly things to happen. And it was no different in David's David's family. Because he had a a daughter by the name of Tamar. Was a beautiful young lady. But, um, But he also had a son by the name of Amnon. Whom began to lust after his sister. And he began to embrace an incestuous desire for her. And the Bible says that Amnon one day uh, feigned that he was sick and Tamar was working and she brought him some food to eat into his chamber. And, and when she brought the food into his chamber, then Amnon locked the door and there Amnon raped his sister Tamar. She, he forced her to sleep with him. And David knew this was a problem and he, he was dealing with it. He was trying to deal with it. It's one of those things you can't touch. No matter what happens, something's got to be done about this. And David was dealing with the problem, but another one of his sons, Absalom, decided that daddy wasn't handling this fast enough and the way it should be. And, and, da- and Absalom decided that he wanted revenge. And Absalom loved his sister as well. Uh, he loved her in a brotherly love, but he decided he wanted revenge. And so the scripture tells us that, that, that Absalom went and he killed Amnon. And he, he literally, now he killed his brother. And so now in this, in this triangle in David's house, this triangle of his children, he's got one brother has raped a sister. Another brother has now killed a brother. He kills his brother by stabbing him and drawing his blood. You know, there's moments that you want to get even. There's moments that you want to make them feel the pain that you felt. Am I right? Right now, there's moments that you're wanting to say, you know, that hurts me, and I hope it hurts you. And, and then, but really, what needs to happen to us? And there needs to be a parental love to everyone around us. And you know, when when your parents would chasten you and they would spank you and they would tell you, "This hurts me more than it hurts you," and you're thinking, you're you're 
seven years old and, and you feel the burning in your little in your little backside is is there t- there ain't no way this hurts mama nearly as bad as it does me but on the, it, just, it just hurt a little seven-year-old on the outside but, but it's hurting mama on the inside because it's hard for mama to do that because there's a there's a parental love and there's a mama's love that's there there needs to be a love in every one of our hearts and spirits that we hurt on the inside when others hurt we don't need revenge we don't need vengeance understand something vengeance belongs to God revenge belongs to God put that person on the altar forgive them love them in spite of it all and let God have his way with them drawing the blood of your brother will never satisfy and when you seek vengeance on your own you'll eventually turn on your own father because here's what happened Amnon fell in love with Tamar he raped her Absalom began to hate his brother so he stabbed his brother and and killed him dad's trying to deal with this but here's Absalom a man here's Absalom a man who thought he was doing something that was filled with honor but what happened was when he got the taste of his brother's blood he couldn't be satisfied with it and it wasn't long before he he, he turned on his father and tried to steal his father's kingdom whenever you start drawing blood whenever you start drawing blood that blood running out of your life or your friend's life that isn't going to heal the scars you need blood from heaven in your life you don't need to shed somebody else's blood because blood was already shed perfect blood righteous blood sinless blood was shed for your life and for your spirit He endeavored to steal his father's kingdom. You see, time does not heal wounds of the spirit. Time. You say, well, time will make everything better. No, no. Time time may make uh, some things better in areas of grief and distance from a problem. But but really, the core issue is, is still there. And it takes the blood of Jesus running across your life. It takes the blood of Jesus to touch your life. It takes the blood of Jesus to wash away the hate. It takes the blood of Jesus to wash away the anger. It takes the blood of Jesus uh, to do away with these things. And that's the reason in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 4, it said it again. Surely he bore our griefs. What it's saying is, don't you know? Don't you know he bore your griefs? Don't you know that... He carried your sorrows. This is not just a scripture to pass by, but you need to know that he already felt your grief, and he already is carrying your your sorrow, and already he feels those things. Well, surely, surely he has done that. And I, I hasten, I hasten to a close. I've been speaking to you 30 minutes. John... The Baptist, the brother, the cousin of Jesus, prepared for his ministry for 30 years. And when he was 30 years old, he entered into his ministry in six months. He literally turned the known world upside down with his message of repentance. But then he also said, the one coming after me is greater than I. And he must increase, and I must decrease. And six months after he'd been preaching, his cousin Jesus walks onto the scene. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sins of the world. And already at this point, Jesus steps onto the scene and John baptizes him and the life of Jesus begins to increase and the life of John begins to decrease. And of course, just a few, little bit of time later, John would lose John would lose his life. It was this young man who had prepared his life for wonderful things to happen in his ministry. But he only got to stand in that role for six months. And at the six-month point, he loses his career. At the six-month point, he loses his platform. At the six-month point, the crowds no longer follow him, but they're following someone else. At six-month point in his life, way too young, there was a change in his plans and his dreams. And sometimes there's events in our life that takes away our careers, takes away our dreams, stops the college education, stops the fast track to success, and an event happens, and and it locks us up in a prison house. And we just wonder really what was going on. And so this morning, if you ever found yourself locked up in a prison, dealing with the questions of life of why this had to happen, let me simply remind you, amidst the pain, amidst the emotional scarring, amidst the disappointment, amidst the hurt, and amidst the confusion, amidst the bitterness, amidst the shame and humiliation, amidst the dirty feelings as a result of other people's decisions towards you, remember this. He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities the pain of my peace the chastisement of my peace the inner turmoil of my spirit was upon him he did all of that for you he allowed and he took on the pain the scars and the wounds on the inside. I don't believe it. Right before he passed away in the garden, the Bible says that Jesus prayed, and as he prayed, he sweat great drops of blood. This being a medical condition, when stress levels reach a certain level, when blood begins to excrete itself through the pores of the skin like sweat, that's the highest levels of stress a person can have. And he went through that highest level of pain and her turmoil and happiness. So you would not have to. I reach for a heart today. Would you stand with me? I reach for a heart today. Because somebody has brought their pain and their turmoil inside the tabernacle. Amen. The genesis of my thought this week is I begin to reflect upon scars in our lives. And what prompted my what prompting what prompted my consideration of scars was 
going down the road one day, I, I was picking and begin to have an irritation in my finger. 30, 31 years ago in a church work day, I got this little finger here stuck in one of those reciprocating type bush trimmers. You know, the one you plug in and it goes back and forth and makes a, a clacking sound. And when you put your finger in there, it ceases to clack. <laughs> because it's lubricated with blood and other things. And literally... Half of my finger, you could see deep in it. And I didn't have money to go to the doctor. So um, I just put a butterfly on it. And it literally took like almost a year for that thing to heal. And as a result of that, now it filled back in. Because when you get a cut like that, you know, you have all these white blood cells and other plasms. They go and they fill the spot. And it looks like skin, but it's really not skin like the rest of it. Because it doesn't have the softness and the elasticity that, um, that skin normally would. It's tough. I mean, you, you feel that spot and, and it gets dry and it gets cracked. Uh, it has to constantly be touched with something to keep it lubricated because it's a scar. And it never goes away. And that prompted my thoughts this week when I began to deal with the issue. Sometimes we're scarred in life. And it seems like it never goes away. But never forget, he was wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. And more than your sins and more than your wrongdoings, he bought peace for your inner man. And that's what I'm talking about today. A scar so deep on the inside that nobody can see it on the outside. But it's there. But Jesus Christ is a healer. To close your eyes, Master. Move in this room right now. You know, Lord. You know, Lord. The scar the pain, the mark left yesterday. I'm praying, Lord, that you would move into this room right now and you would touch someone and let someone really realize, God, that you indeed suffered and died and bought their pain and you allowed for the inner scarring because you don't want the damage to continue in their lives. I'm asking you, God, to move. Would you touch a heart in this room, Lord, right now? Touch a heart in this room. I'm asking, God, that you would let this word fall in the heart, in the mind, in the core of somebody. And let it fall and become manifest. And let there be a blood covering, Jesus. Allow a blood covering in a heart, a blood covering in a mind, a blood covering in a relationship, a, a blood covering on a career, a blood covering, God, in this life that still deals with the aftershocks of yesterday. And I'm asking this, Lord, in the name of Jesus.
And when you come to the presence of God, sickness has to leave. Darkness has to leave. The scarring will be healed and touched and softened. I'm inviting everybody here today. Would you join me around the front for just a moment? If you're a guest here, feel free to join us. The church family is going to come. You won't be alone. We're not asking anybody just to come walk up and people to look at you and be embarrassed. No. No. Would you come and join us? Allow the healing. Allow the healer. Allow the hope giver. Allow the blood of Jesus to touch your heart and your soul and your spirit today. Come gather around the front and stand close to somebody. Stand close to somebody because I believe the heart mender is here. The scar fixer is here. The one that bled and died for you and me is here. And he wants to touch your heart. And as you gather around, close your eyes.